Well, we've been in a series, the title of the series, What Do I Do Now? The premise of the series is the reality that we're in a mess. I mean, we're in a bona fide card-carrying mess in this world. We really are. We're in a mess in this nation. Our national debt is just ridiculous. Um, we Now, this is awesome, isn't it? Now you're trying to decide where to go to the bathroom. Target says you can go anywhere you want to. I suggest aisle three. <clears throat> we really are in a mess. We're trying to elect somebody that's going to fix it all. There's nobody's going to fix it all. We're trying to find some cure that's going to get it all. Nothing's going to get it all. In fact, I will tell you this. What you can really do is fix you, and I can fix me. And that's been the premise of this series, and this is the seventh of this seven-part series. And the ending of the series is, I would think, pretty obvious, live like a Christian. The text is Philippians 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Well, by now, all of you and a lot of other people know of my retirement announcement that I made on the first Sunday of this month. That was May the 1st. One year from today, uh, actually one year from yesterday, May the 21st, 2017, I will give my last Sunday morning message as your pastor here, and uh, then I will move on to the events of graduation week. I will speak in the baccalaureate service next year, God willing, and then Mrs. Ray and I plan to graduate uh, with the high school seniors, and we'll walk out, and uh, they'll go on to college, and we'll go on to the home, and uh, we look forward to that. The reason I even bring that up is because I've told some of you that I want to speak from Philippians chapter 4 on my last Sunday morning message. Well, there's a problem. Uh, The problem is that it is the perfect text for the last sermon of this series. Now, the Bible is a wonderful book, and I'm sure there will be another text that I can find in the next year uh, for the last sermon that I bring on uh, a Sunday morning here as your pastor. But for now, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. In an episode of History Channel's reality show about a Las Vegas pawn shop, a man brought in a, a violin, and he asked for an appraisal. According to the man's story, he had recently purchased a piece of property that included a house and a barn, And shortly after the purchase, he was going through the barn, and he opened an old chest, and he discovered a violin tucked inside of that old chest, and he dusted off the near-perfect instrument, and he found the words Stradivarius, or the words Stradivarius, clearly inscribed on the violin. He was hoping that this would be a Stradivarius worth millions of dollars. However, after the pawn store owner's examined the violin, then also had it appraised by an expert, they told the man that it wasn't a genuine Stradivarius. Instead, it was an imitation that was produced in the early part of the 1900s. It still had some value, but only about five or six hundred dollars. The appraiser concluded by telling the violin owner, just because something has a label 
doesn't mean it's real. Let that soak in for a minute. In the course of this series, we have looked at the world around us, and as we've said, we've determined that no one single person has the ability to change the course of society, but we can do something about ourselves. We can soften our hearts was the first thing. We can prepare for judgment. We can behave ourselves. We can encourage the church. We can walk in the light. Last week we saw that the label of Christianity says love. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. That's what our label should read. And unlike the Stradivarius that was a copy, when our label is read, it shouldn't be something that is imitated or something that is false advertising. It should reveal the genuineness of who we are, that we really are believers and we really do love one another and we really do love God. Now we come to this final message. This one tells us how to live as Christians and how to harmonize our life with our label. As already mentioned, it's taken from one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Well, there it was in verse 5. The premise for each and every one of these messages in the series, that we should make a decision in light of the day. The day is the coming of the Lord, and verse 5 said, the Lord is at hand. So as we end this seven-part series, I want to give you seven quality characteristics of living a Christian life. And they're all pretty much about attitude. They involve action, but as much as anything, they're about attitude. First of all, rejoice. The first trait so powerful that Paul uh, speaks it and he says it twice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Be happy. This is a quality that, that should be a part of every single one of us. God help us to not be sour puss believers. Help us to not walk around with some sense of anger or stress or bitterness on our faces, but to rejoice and to rejoice always. Again, Paul says, rejoice. Let me tell you why we ought to rejoice. 
Because God is good all of the time, and because He is God all of the time, so why would we not rejoice? There are times that make us sad, and there are times that cause us to struggle, but there's never a time when God is absent. There's never a time when God is asleep, or when God is unable to overcome or help us overcome the obstacles in our lives. We ought to always just rejoice. Some of you who are, I'll call you old school like me, you're old school. Remember the name John R. Rice, or you may remember the name Bill Rice, Dr. John R. Rice and Dr. Bill Rice. Both of these men built substantial ministries, and both of those ministries were based in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just down the road from where I grew up and where I graduated from college and my wife graduated from college, Middle Tennessee State University. There was another Rice who lived in Murfreesboro. He wasn't from Murfreesboro, neither were John R. or Bill, but he was from up north somewhere, and he was an evangelist. And his name was Grant Rice. I used to have Grant Rice preach for me at the church in Nashville. You remember him, don't you, Jan? We'd have Grant Rice to to preach for us. And there were two distinctions about him. First of all, when he 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 had a very distinct voice just like this, and when he preached, this was the way that he preached. And he would stand up and he would say, Well, good morning to all of you. Let me see hold your Bibles up if you brought them to church today, and he would hold his Bible up. And he'd say, now turn around sideways so I can see if you've been reading them. And he would look for signs of wear on the, uh, the edges of your Bible. He was such a good guy. Truly, he wasn't a great preacher, but he was such a good guy. And you just had to be around him. He was just a wonderful man. Here was the other trait about him. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what the day was. It didn't matter where the circumstances were. It just didn't matter. You'd say, well, Brother Rice, how are you doing? I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. That's what he said every single time. Well, I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. And if 10 people walked up and said, how are you doing? I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. How you doing? I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. He always rejoiced in the Lord. That was a characteristic of his life. You knew that when you saw Grant Rice, you're going to find somebody who was rejoicing in the Lord. That's what he did. That was his thing. That ought to be all of our. uh, That should be the mantra of all of us. I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. If believers are to have anything going in their life, they should have joy going in their life. Paul said it was so important. In fact, he said it to the Philippians twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Here's the second thing we should do. We should live our lives with a sense of reason. I'm going to say something to you that maybe no pastor's ever said to you, but I'm going to give it to you straight from the Bible. I'm not making it up. This is an interesting trait, but it's not expected. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The word reasonableness. In the King James Version, it's called moderation. Let your moderation be known to all. It says reasonableness here. 
What it means is gentle. What it means is fitting, the appropriate thing. Let your sense of the fitting, let your sense of the appropriate thing be made known to all. Believers should have distinctions in their lives, but when those distinctions become just weird or strange or threatening, they can be problematic. We shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be just weird or strange. It's, It's fine for you to wear a cross around your neck, but you shouldn't wear a cross around your neck the size of the clock around Flava Flav's neck. You should wear a cross around. You shouldn't have a a sense of threatening about you. You should be a good person that has a sense of reasonableness about your life. Many years ago when I was in Israel, I saw what's best described as Hasidic Jews. And the best way to understand who the Hasidic Jews are is to think of those people that continue in the strictest of Jewish traditions. I mean, the absolute most strict Jewish traditions. I I think of them like this, Jewish fundamentalist. They are absolutely, totally strict to the Jewish traditions. And they are easy to spot because they they dress in a unique uh, fashion. They're the ones that, that have the, the things coming down either side of their face. I, I mean, I call them sideburns, but it's something else. But they, they have something. And you'll see them in airports. If you're in an airport, you'll, you'll see one of these dressed exactly as these you see on the screen, if it's a male, <clears throat> and, and pretty much every issue regarding uh, that. You'll see them. If you ever go to New York City, you're going to see them in New York City. They will be present in New York City. You will see some. You may not see hundreds, but you're going to see two or three uh, on the sidewalk. When I was in Israel, I asked one of the, um, the Jews that I'd gotten to know there. Actually, he was, he was our tour guide. <clears throat> and I said, um, tell me, what do these people believe? And he said, well, he said, they are, told me, confirmed what I had already suspected. They are in the most strict of Jewish tradition. They absolutely are in the most strict of Jewish tradition. And I said, those clothes then, are that, is that part of the Jewish tradition? He said, no, not at all. He said, it's not at all. He said, those clothes, and, and they wear those clothes in the hottest of weather in Israel or anywhere. He said, they wear those clothes because, um, and, and this is pretty much a quote, They dress that way because they think they're better than the rest of us Jews. That's exactly what he said. They think they're better than the rest of us Jews. And when the Messiah comes, they want to be recognized first by him, so they dress this way. It was a clear sense of resentment. A clear resentment and, and sense of suspicion in his response. The point that I'm making is that we can live distinctively Christian lives without adding to our lives such weirdnesses that cause us to be threatening to people who need Jesus, people who need our message. We should be different from the world. We should not be like the world. We should be separated from the world, is what the Bible says. 
that difference shouldn't be such a strange thing that our testimony cannot be heard or our testimony cannot be believed. Our, our, the, the, the difference in our lives should not be so much that people are staring at the difference so much that they can't hear the message of our faith, that they can't see Jesus in us. Living like a Christian is not an act. It's a natural life. The normal Christian life is the normal life that's Christian. We're talking about living like a Christian, and we're giving seven things as given in Philippians chapter 4 that we are to uh, put into our lives, and these seven things are an important part of our life. We are, should rejoice, we should have a sense of reason, and we should relax. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Wow. Do you get nervous? Do you get worried? Do you get upset? I made a statement the other day that at the point of your worry is the end of your God. If you st- put it in monetary terms, if you start worrying uh, at $1,000, you have a $999 God. If your worry begins at at $10,000, then you've got a $9,999 God. Some people have a $99 God. Do you worry? Do you live your life in a sense of, of worry? All of us have a case of the nerves now and then. We find ourselves teetering on the, the brink of panic. And you may have panic attacks. I know that they're real, and I'm, I'm not belittling anyone who struggles with them. But here's what our text says. Our text says, don't panic. Don't worry. Don't be so nervous about things. Usually when that which has made us so nervous passes, we look back and say, I shouldn't have been so nervous. I shouldn't have panicked like this. In the early 70s, by the way, don't you love that picture? <clears throat> In the early 70s, Americans panicked over a lot of things, almost everything. There were shortages. There were oil shortages, gasoline shortages, electricity. There was even a shortage of onions. And the U.S. existed in a state of shortage psychology. That's what they thought about all the time were the shortages. And the most bizarre was a toilet paper scare. I don't know if you, I vaguely remember it, but there was a toilet paper scare. And it all started with unsubstantiated rumors. In November of 1973, a news agency reported a tissue shortage in Japan. Then a U.S. congressman issued a press release, and this is the actual press release. I'm not making this up. The U.S. may face a serious shortage of toilet paper within a few months. A toilet paper shortage is no laughing matter. It is a problem that will potentially touch every American. I I can't believe. That was such an inappropriate press release, or or appropriate, I, I don't know. But millions upon millions of people uh, 
hoarded toilet paper. I think that's where Sam's Club and Costco got started. I, they, <clears throat> just millions upon millions hoarded toilet paper. And, and for months it was a, commod- a rare commodity. It was bartered. It was traded. There was even a toilet paper black market. And slowly Americans realized that there never really was a shortage. They realized that this story really had nothing to go on. Thank you. How can we... Once again, thank you, Larry. How can we relax in a world that has real problems? How can we feel safe in a world that isn't safe at all? Well, you can rejoice. You can live with a sense of reason. You can certainly relax and live by request. Make your request, the Bible says. In verse uh, 6 again, the latter part, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. If you don't or can't find or safety or feel safe or at ease, if you are ruffled and you can't get unruffled, then pray. I want you to listen to these, and this is about all there is to this point. Listen to these great quotes on prayer from John Wesley. Prayer is where the action is. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, true prayer is measured by weight, not by length. A single groan before God may have more fullness of prayer in it than a fine oration of a great length. I love this statement by John Bunyan. It In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. That's that's worth remembering right there. E.M. Bounds wrote, prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in the closet. And Oswald Chambers, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. We have to learn to pray about things. When, when When you're losing your sense of of peace and, and when you, you're on the edge of panic and, and when you're about to cry for no reason and you're about to, and your nerves have run out to the very end of your fingertips, just stop and say, this is not fixing me. This is not helping me. What I need to do is to pray. I need to pray and I need to pray right now. And you know what your prayer can be? Extremely, extraordinarily simple. God, I am worrying. I'm acting silly. I am panicking. I know that you're good all the time, and I know that you're God all the time, and I do not want to be like this. Stop me in my tracks. Don't make me right now be calm in your presence, Lord. Right now make me be calm in your presence. You say, well, what if that doesn't work? That if that doesn't work, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to your prayer closet and say, that didn't work last time, God, and I suspect it's not because of you, but because of me. So I'm going to say it again. I'm going to ask it again. Dear God, please stop me from panicking when I shouldn't panic. Please stop me from worrying. You're bigger than the point that I started worrying. God, please stop me. In these strange days, we must live like Christians. 
That is what you can do. And, and here is what that means. Rejoice in the Lord. Live a reasonable life. Relax when you want to worry. Rather, make your request known to God. Here's three more things. The fifth thing is to retreat. Do you have a place where you go for retreat? A place you like to go and get away from it all? Some of you have favorite places at the beach where you go. You may have a a place at the beach, something that you have purchased somewhere along the way. Some of you have a a favorite place beside a stream. I, I think... I think, if I, he's not here today, I think that Jimmy Roberts' place to relax is somewhere uh, standing in water, fly casting, trying to catch a trout. I think that's where he relaxes. You may have a place that you, you retreat. There's some of you that would rather be in the mountains than any other place on the earth. Some of you just love home. Just love home. That's the place where you, you just are absolute the safest. That's the place where you go. That's what you really, really love. Is there a place to go to find retreats? I don't have a place at the beach. I can't afford to go to the mountains. I just, is there, well, there's a place that you can go that doesn't cost you anything. It costs him everything. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why don't you grab you a cup of coffee and go sit down and spend some time in the peace of God? If you don't mind, Lord, I'd just like to sit here and be at peace. I want to be at peace in you, with you. It's it's where you go when it makes no sense at all to have any peace. You can go to God for peace. And the Bible says that it surpasses all understanding. It's the peace that causes those who don't have peace to think that you aren't processing your troubles like you should. When you can go to God and really be at peace, it causes other people to say, I think something's wrong. I don't think it's really hit them yet. What's happened? It may very well have hit you what happened. It just hit you when you were in a time of of peace with the Lord. And being at peace with God, that's where you should be. It's a very real peace. Last Sunday, I left right after church. I went straight to the airport, got on an airplane, flew to Nashville, Tennessee, was picked up at the airport, taken to the Emmanuel Baptist Church, in Lebanon, Tennessee. And there was an event there that was a three-day event, and I was the speaker at that three-day event. And they had some special singers. And I knew the first one that was going to sing there, a very good friend of, of uh, Larry and Susie, Jim Murray, uh, one of the, uh, pretty close to one of the original Imperials, the tenor for the Imperials back in the 60s and 70s. I'd, I would say probably the number one gospel-type group back in those days. Jim Murray was there. He, what a great guy. Uh, he, he sang with Elvis, and uh, so uh, he, he really, but what a great guy Jim Murray was, and, and uh, 
Jim Murray came all three nights of the meeting. I didn't know the second guy that was going to sing. Um, they, but they told me, they said, this, this guy's with the Blackwood Brothers. And I thought they meant he used to be with the Blackwood Brothers. But he is currently the lead singer for the Blackwood Brothers. Blackwood Brothers, one of the biggest groups ever, ever, ever in gospel music, the Blackwood Brothers. Michael Helwig is the current uh, lead singer for the Blackwood Brothers. And we went in and uh, on that evening, and I walked in, and there was a, a wheelchair ramp up to the platform. And I looked, and sitting on the platform was a man, not yet 40, sitting there in a suit with uh, glasses on, handsome, nice young man. It was Michael Helwig in a wheelchair. And I said, what's going on with Michael Helwig? Well, in December, he was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, in December. By last Sunday, May the 15th, and and prior to that, of course, his legs weren't working, so he couldn't walk, so he's in a wheelchair. And he gave his testimony after he'd sung a couple of songs. Oh, my goodness, did he ever sing. And after he sang a couple of songs, and, and, and let me tell you this, with the testimony that he gave, he could have sung the phone book and it would have blessed my heart. He said, you know, this disease just takes all of your motor skills away and, and your, all of your voluntary muscles. And he said, so what happens is that that it starts out, he said, I've already lost my, my legs. He said, at first I could walk with a cane, but then this right leg doesn't work at all, and this left leg is almost gone. So he said, I, I, I lost that. And he said, it will eventually just work its way up until it's in my lungs and I no longer can take breath in. Whew. I'm looking at this guy and saying, you know, at Christmas time, he was getting up and down with his kids around the Christmas tree. And he said, now I know that, that you feel bad for me. And he said, I appreciate it. I want you to pray for me. I, he said, God's a miracle working God. I want you to pray for me. But please, if you really want to pray for somebody, pray for my children. Uh, they're losing a dad. And pray for my wife. He said, I'm still singing with the Blackwood Brothers, and they said that I could continue to sing. They've been so good. I could continue to sing until I could no longer travel. And so he said, I, I sit on the platform with them, and I sing. And uh, he said, but it'll, it'll go away one day. Pray for my wife. But he said, I've got to tell you, I'm at peace with God. He said, I've got a T-shirt that I, I make available. And on the front, it's ALS awareness. And on the back, and, and somebody brought out a T-shirt and showed it. I got, I got one. I, 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 they actually, I, I don't, they didn't have my size really, but I wear a large, uh, but a double X feels so good, I go ahead and get a triple X. But uh, <clears throat> uh, double X, actually. 
And on the, on the back it said, if I win, I win. If I lose, I win. Michael Helwig. That's what I'm talking about. Being at peace with God. Just plain and simple. At peace with God. When you know and believe deeply that God is in control of all things, there is a place of peace where you can go. It's where a believer belongs in days like the ones that we're living in. When there is trouble reported 24-7 on television, there has to be a place of peace where we can go. That place is in our faith and, and that that God is in charge and is working all things for our good and, and our glory. So when we come to that place of retreat, then it's time to learn to rethink. We've got to train our minds to think differently than they've been thinking for so long. As Paul brings these words to a close, he challenges the Philippians to retrain their minds. Our minds need to be retrained Many of you work in fields where you're met with negatives of life. There's people in law enforcement, certain aspects of the legal profession and and regulation and more, and, and you deal with so much of the negative of life, you could almost be cynical. Then there's the, the news, the constant news cycle and the Twitter feeds and on and on. Where does all of this lead? Well, it doesn't help us to have a place of retreat in God. We have to find a way to retrain our minds. And, I, and this, is, this is really it was systematically given by the Apostle Paul. And he said, now look, if you're going to retreat, you've got to retrain your minds. Well, how do you do that? Well, he says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's eight things that we ought to train our minds to think. First of all, we ought to train our minds to think truth. We ought to train our minds on the truth, to think truth. Thy word is truth, the psalmist said. Truth, think on it. Whatever things are honorable. You know, some people go immediately to the dishonorable. Some people go immediately to those things that are not honoring, that are not Christ-honoring, that do not honor others, that do not honor their family, things that are just dishonoring. They go immediately in that direction. Think of things that are honorable, things that are just. Think of justice, the things that are right, the things that are pure, think on purity, the pure things. All you've got to do is, you know, walk into a restaurant or a mall or turn on the television and you can have a bad thought, but work at having pure thoughts. Think on those things that are, that are beautiful. That's what it's saying. It, it says whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever thing is just, whatever thing is pure, whatever thing is lovely. And then it says whatever is commendable. Commendable. The King James Version uses the words good report for what we read as commendable. That means positive. The good things, the, the right things. I, yeah, I'm 
I'm not going to be your pastor in, in a year or so. Not going to be your pastor. Hoping it'll be a year. I sure don't want you to run me off. But uh, hoping it'll be a year. So I won't be your pastor. There's two things that I don't want to hear from you. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning now. I'm going to start today telling you things about how the transition is made. Listen to this. There's two things I don't want to hear from you. I'll see you at, you know, uh, at Sonny's. I'll see you uh, in, in the store. Uh, I may see you in the liquor store, but we won't speak. Uh, just kidding. That's a joke. I'll see you in various places. Here's two things I don't want to hear from you. First thing is, oh, I sure wish you were back. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Oh, Pastor Ray, I just wish you were back. I wish we heard your sermons. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I do not want to hear that. And, and if you say that, I'll say, stop it. Stop that. Because I know how that is. I know how bad that is for the body of Christ. I know how bad that is for the next person that will be your pastor. Don't say, oh, I wish you were back. I don't, want to, don't say that to me. If you, want to, if you want to say it in your sleep, if you want to say it, whatever, but don't say it to me. And, and I don't think you should say it to other people either. So that's, that's something that, that's not positive. You shouldn't say that. Here's another thing that I don't want to hear you say. I am so glad you're gone. <laughs> now, you might want to get that off your chest, but hold on to it, okay? I don't need to hear it. I don't want to hear either one of those things. Because they're not positive. They're not helpful. Helpful In every part of our lives, let's try to think about truth and honor and justice and purity and beauty and those things that are positive. Think on these things. Train yourself to think like that. And when you find yourself deviating from that, step back and say, I am not following the the." Advice of Philippians chapter 4 and verse, and verse 8. Think on excellence. That's the next thing. It, it says, whatsoever things are commendable, if there is any excellence. My sons like to make fun of me I, um, for anything, for things that they shouldn't. I mean, they, they make up things to make fun of me about. And, and I do have a tendency to say something that's the best I've ever seen, the best I've ever eaten, the best place I've ever gone, that was the best song I ever heard. I just have a tendency to say that. I live in the superlative, okay? I do. I live in the superlative. And they make fun of me. You know, I, I will be eating somewhere and I'll take a bite and, oh, man, that's good. is that the best you ever had in your entire life? Why don't you shut up? I mean, you know, is that the best? Is that the best? I don't care if they make fun of me. The Bible tells me to celebrate excellence. All of us should celebrate excellence. Let me give you the final word and we're done. Praise. If there's anything worthy of praise, you need to find the right thing to say. Coach Bowden, 
tells me a story. He's, he's told it to me several times because we laugh about it. About some guys that went hunting. And, and there were several friends, and they, they went hunting, and they were going to be gone for several days. And one guy volunteered to do the cooking. He said, all right, guys, I'm, I'm going to do the cooking. But let me tell you this. If anybody complains, if anybody complains, then I'm giving the cooking to you, and you're going to do the cooking. That's the word. There is no complaint. They all agreed to that. And so he made some stew one night, and, and he just poured the salt to it. I mean just poured the salt to it, salt upon salt upon salt. And sure enough, with the first bite, one of his friends said, you must have poured a, a whole box of salt on this. It makes my mouth pucker. This stew is the saltiest I've ever tasted in my life, but good. <laughs> Every once in a while, we'll look at each other after a shot that ended up, it looked awful, but ended up good and say, but good. Living like a Christian means to rejoice in the Lord and to live a reasonable life and to relax when you want to worry and rather than make your request known to God, retreat into God's peace and retrain your mind to think those things that are good and pure and right. And Paul's final offering, and I told you the other was final, but this is really final. Remember, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I've learned a lot of things from various people in my life. I've collected those things along the way. Most of the people that I've learned from, you would not know their names. And really, if you did a, some sort of a Google search, you'd never find them. Uh, they, but they have taught me really important lessons along the way. And some of them taught those lessons to me accidentally. Some of them taught those lessons to me because they were trying to teach me something. But I've learned some things all along the way. Here's what Paul said regarding himself, but I would say regarding others. Remember those people who were mentors to you or those people to whom you minister, people who brought about change in your life. Don't worship them, but remember them. And remember what they had to say. And remember how it changed your outlook or your life. So what can I do now? Here's what you can do. Soften your heart. Prepare for judgment. Behave yourself. Encourage the church. Walk in the light. Love one another. And please let us live like Christians.